Hey, good morning, everybody. How you doing today? All right, good to see you guys. Yeah, come on. That was an awesome half-hearted applause for the... <laughs> Actually, it was twice as much as I needed, right? Twice as much as I deserved. I have so much coffee in me, you could just boo me and I'd still be going preaching fire. Come on, we call it Pentecostal liquor. Yeah, that's right. Come on. <laughs> this church is not for me. I'm out of here right now, I'll tell you that. Hmm. Hey, so good to see you guys. My name is Jake, and uh, along with my wife, Bethany, we're the pastors here at Joy Church. We want to say welcome to you. If you're visiting today, please don't visit. Come back. Don't be a visitor. Be a guest, and then be family, right? Come be part of this thing, and uh, just want to welcome you. Um, thanks for being here today. There's coffee. There's donuts. If you didn't get any, run out. Get them and come back before the sermon gets good. Uh, but we're so glad you're here, and I don't think you're here by accident. I know that God brought every single person that's here today here for this moment because he has something really good for you, Right? So every week when we go to church, we really believe, I believe, hey, I'm here to, to connect with God, right? I'm here to connect with his truth, here to be with uh, my brothers and sisters and uh, have a, a wonderful time. So this is a good day. It's already been great, and we're going to keep, keep moving forward. How does that sound? Awesome. Well, guys, we, we started in a brand new series called Trending. And uh, Trending, as you saw in the video, we're talking about the fact that uh, we want to connect with God's timeless truth in turbulent times when what's trending isn't necessarily what's true. Say that 10 times fast, right? I have to read it. It's a tongue twister. Uh, we're talking about the fact that over time, what people think is right and wrong, what's good and bad, what's what we should believe, uh, what it means to be woke in 2019, right? It's different. If you go back to 1979, right? That's before my time. <laughs> You go back to 1969, you go back to 1819, whatever, things change over time. But God's truth remains timeless. It remains the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. And we can anchor our lives uh, when times are turbulent. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 7. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and winds beat against that house. It's turbulent times, right? Uh, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. Those of you that are here today, if you've been, uh, if you, if you, most of us have gone through turbulent times. If you have not gone through turbulent times, you will at some point, right? With 100% certainty. So what's going to happen when the storm comes in life? Where is your life based on? What is, what is your bedrock? What are you building on? We want to build on the rock of Christ. He's an anchor for us. He's our hope. And so we're talking about this in this series about in the midst of culture and the shifting winds and of change of what's true and not true of what's good, what's bad and all of this. We're saying, hey, we're going to lock in on what God's timeless truth is, because in that we have safety and security and hope and peace. We can trust in that the rock of Christ. Come on, somebody. So that's what we're talking about here. And uh, today we're just going to go really light. We're just going to go fluffy. We're just going to go, you know, just just cute, just nice sermonette for Christianettes. We're going to talk about God's answer to the problem of evil and suffering. How many of you woke up today and thought, I want to talk about pain, death, sorrow, sickness. I want to talk about evil. Uh, I don't think we did, but uh, for all of us, we've, we've all been um, both experienced, we've experienced pain and suffering and seen evil. Uh, we, we've, we've experienced it for ourselves and we've also observed it. It's something that every human uh, has a question about. Where's God uh, when things are bad? When we look at the world around us and we see the brokenness of our world and we see the problem of pain and evil, we go, well, if God is really what the, the Bible says he is, if he's loving and good and what Christians say that he is, then why the heck does he not launch in and do something about all this problem and this mess? If God's all-powerful, if he really is omnipotent, 
uh, then why doesn't he just step into the show and, and, and deal with the, the, the funny business that's going on when evil invades our, our life? And so this is a question for all of us. And this is a question whether you believe in God or not. Maybe you're here today and you're like, yeah, I'm kind of checking this thing out. Somebody talked me into coming here. But really, I think most of what you people do is nonsense. You Christian people believing in God and all this kind of stuff. That's fine. You're so welcome to be here. This is a question for you and a problem for you, just as much as it is for a person of faith who believes in God. So for us, every human has both observed and also experienced suffering and evil, and it's actually a problem. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, I wanted to read this CBS News article just to kind of frame in, and I know that we're all aware of evil at work in the world, but in case you were thinking, well, what, what really is evil and is evil really exists, we, we really are living truthfully in turbulent times where violence is literally in, in our news cycle and happening all the time to the point where it kind of just gets like, ah, yeah, there's an, been another shooting. There's been another thing happened at a school. This, there's been another problem and we sort of get desensitized to it. But listen to this article. I think it will help us recognize the fact that there's actually a problem of evil. It says in uh, this news article, the number of mass shootings across the U.S. thus far in 2019 has outpaced the number of days this year. This puts 2019 on pace to be the first year since 2016 with an average of more than one mass shooting a day. Uh, as of September 1st, which was the 244th day of the year, there have been 283 mass shootings in the U.S. So if you say, well, I don't, what do you mean turbulent times? That's what I mean. Evil, violence, brokenness, hurt, pain, suffering, coming into our world, invading, doing something. We recognize it's a problem, right? Uh, a mass shooting is any event in which at least four people were shot, excluding the shooter. This toll of 283 mass shootings includes several high-profile mass casualty attacks, two of which happened within 24 hours of each other. You know, we, we go back just to August 31st. There was that shooting in Odessa, seven people killed, 24 wounded. Uh, the shooting in Dayton, Ohio on August the 4th of this year, guys. This isn't like back then. I'm talking about right, right now. Uh, nine people killed, 27 injured. Shooting at Walmart in El Paso, Texas on the 3rd of August of this year with 22 people killed, at least 24 wounded. That was the deadliest shooting of the year. And a shooting in a municipal building in Virginia Beach in May 31st where a former city employee killed 12 people and wounded four. What do you mean evil? This is what I mean. Now, we could talk about lots of different things. We could talk about sickness. We could talk about disease. We could talk about uh, people hurting kids. We could talk about all kinds of stuff. But I just wanted to talk about these shootings because I think it's something that we recognize and all of us can agree, whether you're red, blue, green, white, whatever you vote, whatever you think, like that's evil. Are you with me? I don't care whether you think Trump is the second coming of whoever or you think Hillary should have won or you think whatever, doesn't matter. We all agree on this. That is not okay. If you think it's okay, this isn't the place for you. Like, but you see what I'm saying? Like, we agree on this, that there is actually evil in the world. And then the question comes that we have to talk about, where's God in all of this? Where is God in all of this? I'm sorry if you came here for like three life lessons to have a nicer life. To, no, that's not what we're talking about today. We're going to dig into this. You know, as Christians and, and what the Bible tells us, we believe in a good God, a God of love, a God of hope and beauty. So where is that hope and beauty? Where is God? in this mess. And then where, why doesn't he just stop it? Why does he let it happen? Why does he ever permit evil? And here's the thing, for a lot of people who otherwise probably don't have a problem with Christianity or with God, this question, the problem of evil, it is the barrier that stops them from really committing their life. It's like the thing that goes, well, yeah, I want to believe or I could see the potential of faith, but you know what? I can't really 
do that because this barrier is blocking me, this question of evil and suffering. It's probably the number one question that actually stops people from engaging further in the conversation about following Christ. Uh, and there's a reason for that. It's because it's a very deep problem. And in fact, this problem really hits us at three levels. And so as we talk about answering this today, as we lean into this, as people of faith and maybe those that are, are searching out faith or, or wanting to know more, as we lean into this question, there are really three questions that we need to look at, three issues to deal with. One is the, the logical problem of evil. This is the, the intellectual problem. It's the problem of the head. It's figuring this out in a logical manner. Number two, the emotional problem of evil, the problem of the heart. How do we process this? Like even if there's a satisfactory answer logically, how do we deal with this and actually live our lives? And how do we get up in the morning and be okay with ourselves and okay with the world? And number three, the personal problem of evil, the problem of the hands, the fact that evil is not just out there. We actually find the seeds of it within ourselves. And so we're going to talk about this problem at these three levels today. And uh, I really think today you're going to leave encouraged because it is, it is something that I hold very deeply. And you're going to hear me speak with some passion today, if that's okay. Uh, not like the other times when I'm just bored and I don't speak with passion. Um, but, which is never, but I have, I have a lot of passion about this because I truly see that within Christ and specifically the, the, the cross of Jesus Christ that we find the answer and the antidote to evil. And so that's the answer, but I'm gonna work you through the problem and we're gonna show our work and go through the mathematical equation and we're gonna get there. But I really find that as a Christian, that, that not just saying like intellectually as a Christian, but for me as a Christian person who has put my faith and trust in Jesus at every level of my life, that I find a deep satisfactory answer from the Christian worldview to this problem that is a problem for everybody, whether you're an atheist or you're a Christian or whatever, uh, there's a deep satisfactory answer within the Christian faith. So we're going to look at this at three levels. Are you ready? Okay. Number one, the logical problem of evil, the problem of the head. The thing is, we're not the first people, the first generation to look at the world and go, man, this place is a mess. And there's a problem here when we talk about God being totally good and totally powerful. There's a problem here. Uh, and, and this has been going on for, for generations and even thousands of years ago. People have looked at this and said, where's God when things go terribly wrong? And so a man named Epicurus, he was a Greek philosopher, famous for what we call Epicurean philosophy. Epicurus said this, and he formulates the logical problem of evil, the, the traditional standard, what is known in, philo in, in uh, philosophic circles as the logical problem of evil. Is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he is not omnipotent. Is he able but not willing? Then he is malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Then whence cometh evil? How many of you want to use the word whence, or those words whence cometh? I think we should flood our communication with whence cometh this next. Whence cometh my breakfast? <laughs> whence cometh your help with the children? <laughs> whence cometh? Whence cometh evil? Is he neither able nor willing? Then why call him God? So in other words, Epicurus is saying, hey, we're going to challenge God in his love, in his goodness, we're going to challenge God in his power. And if he's not really loving and he's not really powerful, I wish I had a stand because then I could use both hands at once and do my cheerleader moves. If God is, is if, if, he's, if, he's, if he's, we're challenging him in his love, we're challenging him in his power, and then we're challenging him in both. If he doesn't have all the goodness and he's not really all powerful, then he's really not God. How many of you think that's a great question? I do. You're like, are we supposed to say yes? <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's a good question. Epicurus is asking. He's saying, this is the logical problem of evil. And here's the argument goes. God cannot be both all-powerful and all-good in light of the existence of evil. Because evil exists, God, or the Christian God at least, must not exist. Or he must be different than what Christians believe. 
And I think this is a really good question, but actually within the Christian faith and, and understanding the Christian worldview and the story of reality that Christianity tells, there is a very satisfactory answer to this. And it all boils down to something very simple called free will. Evil is the result of human free will. And philosophers, and both from people of faith and people outside of the Christian faith, uh, people of other religions, and have actually talked about this and, and these questions and have really looked at this. And, and the answer that comes from this, from a logical standpoint at least, is this, that God uh, had to give human beings a choice against him or a choice away from good, that which we call evil, a choice to do the wrong thing, because free will is a necessity of love and good. And so as the Bible describes to us, God's intrinsic nature, who he literally is, is love. And love necessitates choice. You don't have love without choice. If, if you know, I, I, was, uh, I was fairly confident my wife, or before we were married, my fiance, Bethany, uh, was going to say yes when I asked her to marry me. Like, I was fairly confident when I went down on one knee in Lithia Park. The lady that rudely interrupted us while we were doing that event was also probably fairly confident. Just an aside, this woman came up and stood right by us. We're like, could you, we're kind of having a thing here, but it's okay, it's okay, cool, hey, what's up? Cool, 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 you know, you can be here. I was fairly confident she would say yes, but you know what? She had every right to say no. And if I said, well, I'm gonna force you to marry me, then guess what? We don't have a loving relationship anymore. And in the same way, God says to you, hey, I love you, I want you to receive me and accept me, but he doesn't force your hand. If he did, it wouldn't be love. My little brother, Johnny, who's like one of the most loving people in the world, when he was 10, he had this weird little poem. He said, roses are red, violets are blue. I have a gun, get in the van. <laughs> How many of you think that's a little less than loving, right? A little bit, you're like, man, what a weird family. We are, but he's okay now. He's, he's grown out of that stage. We'll have him come preach here sometime, maybe. I won't let him share his poems. There's, you, you can't have love without choice. Therefore, God gave Adam and Eve, and, and by extension, really all human beings, including you and I, a choice for or against him. We have to choose every day. Do I choose God and what God stands for and God's, God's description of, of right and good? Or do I pursue my own definition, which is what was actually happening in the Garden of Eden, and make it up as I go? And then all of a sudden, the whole thing falls apart because God built the system with a moral code on the, uh, installed in it. And when you violate that code, things go out of whack. Adam and Eve said, we're not going to accept that. We're going to do our own thing. It's like putting diesel in a gasoline engine. And so this is for every human. There's a choice. And so God, here's the, here's the thing. When, we, when human beings chose against God, and, and really God had put us in a position of sovereignty over this planet, even creation itself, we basically opened the door, the wolf came in, and the problem of evil comes into the story because of human free will, okay? But here's the thing. God could not create beings that could freely love him and one another without free will. Love without choice is not love. Thus, God is actually constricted by his intrinsic nature of love to offer a choice, okay? And I want you to hold on to that and think about that because this is one of the sides of this tension and then we come to the issue of God's power. Yes, but if God, okay, so God's loving because he, he has to give free will in order to remain loving. And really the universe wouldn't be any good at all if there was no choice. There would be no love, thus no good at all. Um, but what about God's power? Well, the issue of God's power, we talk about omnipotence. And, and many times we have a nonsensical, illogical view of omnipotence. We see omnipotence, somebody being all powerful or God being all powerful, meaning God can do anything we can think of. If I can think it, God can do it. And so people say, can God make a rock even he can't lift? No. 
but that doesn't invalidate God's power. What you're saying is God has the power to do all things that are logically possible to do. If God is by definition omnipotent, if he is the most powerful being in existence, to do something that makes him less powerful or that is above his power is nonsensical and illogical, but it doesn't mean he's not omnipotent. Are you with me? He can't break himself to do something more powerful than him, then he wouldn't be God. So it's a nonsensical thing. Thus, omnipotence is only the power to do that which is logically possible. And so we come back to this choice of free will. If God is love, but he's also all powerful, but there has to be a choice in order for love to exist, God can't just immediately intervene in every situation where evil comes into play. Otherwise, he would be breaking. Uh, the, he couldn't do that because he can't have love and not have choice. Does this make sense? Are you with me? It's a little bit deep, but let's, let's work into this. And so love without choice is not love. God's omnipotence doesn't give him the power to do things that are logically impossible. Thus, God can't create a universe in which love is possible and also where choice is not possible. Therefore, the premise of this argument is actually flawed and incorrect. And what we have to come to, which is what philosophers, even secular and atheist philosophers have come to, is that the logical problem of evil is not actually a problem. Free will actually disarms the bomb of this problem. Are you with me? And so then we go, well, what about, what about evil? Then does that mean that God, because he gave the possibility of evil by choice, does that mean that God created evil? And the answer to that is no, because evil's not a creation, it's a privation. Hear, hear this out. Just as darkness is not a creation, it's a privation, darkness is the absence of light. Evil is a privation of good. God created everything good, but when we made a choice against God, we opened space into the story for evil to come in, but it's not a creation, it's a privation. And we understand this. Like if you think about this in natural terms, how many of you think that United Airlines is responsible for 9-11? They're not. <laughs> how many of you think that American Airlines is responsible for 9-11? Anybody? Well, they made the airplanes. Yeah, but they made airplanes to take people safely from place to place. They didn't make them to slam into buildings and kill people. So what we understand is that it's possible to interject oneself into something that is good, hijack it, and crash it into a building. And we do that with our lives, don't we? God created sexuality. What do we do? We hijack it. We slam it into a building, literally and metaphorically for some people, right? Um, we, 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 hijack, we hijack human relationships, and we twist, and we manipulate, and we take communication. We hijack alcohol, and we create addiction and alcoholism. We hijack things and we turn them into evil. You see what I'm saying? But God's not responsible for that. He is, his creation was good in the beginning. It's like saying an architect is responsible if you take a bulldozer through your house. No, the original design was great. You messed it up, right? Are you with me? And so we recognize this. And so the logical problem of evil is really not an, a, a logical problem. God didn't create evil. Evil is a privation of good. And actually, Funny enough, evil actually points us to the existence of God. Have you ever heard the phrase, the shadow proves the sunshine? The very fact that we recognize in this universe things are off, that we see the shadow, tells us that there's actually a light that is shining from outside of the story that allows us to begin to see moral reality. And so if we perceive something to be dark and evil, it is only because there is something light and good. Again, the shadow proves the sunshine. Thus, C.S. Lewis, when he was wrestling against God, if you know C.S. Lewis, he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, Mere Christianity. He's kind of a famous Christian writer, but actually he was an atheist. He didn't want anything to do with Christians or God, thought it was nonsense. And so he set off on a quest to read the Bible and invalidate it and disprove it. And as he did that, 
he found himself in a right, <laughs> a right uh, sticky wicket. How about that? He said, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? Man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? If the whole show was bad and senseless from A to Z, so to speak, why did I, who was supposed to be part of the show, find myself in such violent reaction against it? Listen to this. A man feels wet when he falls into water because man is not a water animal. A fish would not feel wet. Of course, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but a private idea of my own. But if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too. For the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust, not simply that it did not happen to please my fancies. In other words, if I'm saying God is responsible because things are broken, I'm recognizing that right and wrong are absolutes. Okay? If I'm going to hold God accountable, I have to, I have to admit that it's an absolute. Thus, in the very act of trying to prove that God did not exist, in other words, that the whole of reality was senseless, I found I was forced to assume that one part of reality, namely my idea of justice, was full of sense. Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. If the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning, just as if there were no light in the universe and therefore no creatures with eyes, we should never know it was dark. Dark would be a word without meaning. Thus, God's existence actually, in a roundabout way, is shining light and it, the shadow proves the sunshine. You can't, have, you can't recognize that the world is broken unless there's a, a position of wholeness. We can't recognize that something is bad unless there's something that is good. And that's what C.S. Lewis is saying. And he's saying something really deep here. He's saying, and I got this intrinsically. If I wanted to hold God accountable for the brokenness in the world and say, well, then, you know, he, he's, he can't exist because of it, um, then I, I'm inter intervening in, or I'm getting into this, this nonsensical kind of thinking. And so, Evil really does not invalidate God's existence. It, it doesn't. It actually, in a roundabout way, points to his existence. When we recognize evil, we're also recognizing the fact that there is good and that it's absolute and that it, it's a part of the intrinsic fabric of the universe, okay? Thus pointing towards a moral law giver. And uh, I could go on and on about this, but I'm going to move on because we want to we move forward. And I'm not going to tell that joke about beating the other churches to the restaurants. I've used it too many. I've gone to the well too many times. Yeah. So the logical problem of evil is really answered in, in, the, in this way of talking about human free will and God's limitations about in love and power. And what's, what's interesting about this is for those of you that really have this logical problem of evil, um, I'd love to, we're going to get some resources up, I think in a Facebook post or on the website, some books if you really want to lean into this. But actually in our day and age, the logical problem of evil, even from atheists and uh, and people of different faiths and things, they don't actually see the logical problem of evil as, in, as an in invalidator of Christian thought because logically what I'm telling you actually holds up. When you crunch the numbers and you put it together, the reality is God can both be omnipotent and good and yet evil exists and it has to do with the fact that there's a factor that Epicurus didn't put into his initial equation, right? And so the logical problem of evil is really one that that is solved. I'm not saying I've solved it here. I'm, I've had like 10 minutes. I didn't solve the problem of evil. I'm not saying that. Um, but I'm saying that in, in the broad uh, discussion of this, this has actually been wrapped up, and you can, and you can read about this. Um, but that really doesn't bring us all the way there, because here's the thing. Even if the logical problem of evil is solved, so what? I'm still hurting. Things are still broken. There's still a problem emotionally. How do we live in a world that is broken? How do we operate in a world of pain and sorrow? There's this emotional problem of evil. How do we actually deal with evil and suffering? And I want to give you three words today that I believe 
really encapsulate God's response and what we see biblically, theologically, why I, feel, I, I believe the Christian worldview is the best. And, and, and it sounds, I sound very exclusivist because I am, because I really, truly am a big fan of Jesus Christ. Like, uh, I'm not going to stand up here and pretend like, you know, I'm not really sure. Um, we really celebrate people that aren't sure in our culture, which is really um, silly. Everybody that has actually locked onto something and really sees it as true, listen to those people because they probably have actually dug in a little bit more. Um, the heroes are not the people that are like all completely unsure about everything. Those are called uneducated people. Okay, anyways. Um, the emotional problem of evil, the heart. God's answer that we see from the Christian worldview is very beautiful. Three words. Number one, understanding. Number two, presence. Number three, hope. You see, God doesn't, he's not just absent from our pain. He understands our pain. He's present in our pain. He's with us. And he offers hope, meaning he's going to make all things right in the future. But he also offers us hope in the here and the now. Let's talk about this word understanding. In scripture, Jesus is called Emmanuel. It means God with us. And this is the mystery of the incarnation that God in his great love looked down at the human experiment and realized, man, you guys have really made a, a big mess of this. And so he sends Jesus who actually comes down as a human being and is born of a woman, right? And grows up and actually goes through life and experiences him for himself. God experiences for himself what it's like to be human experiences for himself, what it's like to get beat up and what it's like to get mocked. Jesus was called a bastard, right? Because how, how would you think if somebody was like, yeah, you know, the Holy Spirit's my dad. Um, yeah. So anyways, Jesus was called not enough laughs. Thank you. All right. I need a laugh track. I really do. I mean, we need this. Where's the staff? We need a laugh track here. Okay. Make it happen. Um, <laughs> I'm just teasing. Jesus goes through pain. Jesus watches sorrow. He watches terrorism go on. Jesus is born in the first century in Judea when King Herod is king. If you know anything about him, he was a real jerk. He was violent. He was ruthless. And then the Roman Empire was over Judea at this time. There was so much violence. You want to talk about turbulent times. Jesus experienced it. He sees it. When we go through pain, when we have questions, Jesus gets it. When you serve Christ, you're not serving a God who doesn't understand. He understands. He understands. Yeah, but it hurts. You don't get it. Maybe I don't, but he does. Scripture tells us that he, that he was tempted in all points. He was tried. He, he was tempted by sin. He, he was tempted to go to evil, but he didn't do it. He saw wickedness. He saw evil. He saw pain. He understands. But then number two, presence. Presence. We serve a God that is near to us in our pain. In Psalms 34, it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. If you're here today and you're like, I'm brokenhearted. I lost someone that I love. My children are, are doing something that I don't want them to do, whatever it may be. I'm suffering. I'm struggling. I lost a relationship. Your God doesn't run from you. He runs to you. I can tell you that as a Christian, you know, it's not the intellectual answers. Oh, well, you know, God and free will and that. That's not what I hold on to in the dark moments. It's, the, it's this, God, you're here and you run to me when my heart is broken. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. God is near to us in our pain, but guess what? God doesn't let pain win because he also offers us hope. And so he's a God that understands our pain because he's walked through it. He's a God that is near to us in our pain, which is not a very God-like thing to do. If you think about any other formulation of religion, every other God is like, I'm so powerful, deal with it yourself. But our God comes and is actually a part of the brokenness. But he also offers us hope. God offers us hope that everything will be made right. And the Christian faith, this is why I love being a Christian 
every day of the week, all seven days. Because the Christian faith is about hope at two levels, right, right now and also forever. Jesus said, God, let your will be done and your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And what Jesus is saying is, God, in your kingdom, the bad stuff doesn't go on. And as a Christian, we are kind of to be that bridge between heaven and earth, and we're to fight and resist evil in the here and the now. Come on, if you're a Christian, you should be woke, actually woke, which means resisting real evil, not from a political platform, not from a, not from a social platform, not from a hating other people platform, but from a kingdom platform saying, I don't care who you voted for, you're a, a human being and I'm gonna resist evil regardless of whether we agree about politics because I'm part of this new kingdom. Come on. You wanna look for unity in turbulent times. Our unity is in Christ. We're not gonna agree necessarily on politics and even though you're wrong and I'm right, it's okay. We're going to, maybe I'm wrong and you're right. But you know what? We're all wrong, and Jesus is right. Amen. And that's where we find unity. And as a Christian, you get to say, I'm going to resist evil in my day and age. And that's the Christian's calling, to actively oppose evil wherever it manifests itself, but to also anticipate final victory at the end of time when Jesus comes back. Listen to what it says in Revelation. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And listen to the beautiful promise of the Christian faith. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, look, I am making everything new. The same God that made everything new in the beginning is coming back to make everything new again. What we were given that was a perfect template that was great that we messed up He's saying, look, I've come in and I've actually given my life to offer hope that in the future I'm going to be restoring. And I want you to think about the alternative to this. If you reject God, if you say, okay, well, you know, no, I don't believe in this. And like, I'm throwing this out. In a world without God, evil and, and pain still exist. And you still recognize it. There's still shootings in a world without God. But what you are now devoid of is hope. I would rather be a delusional person with hope who's wrong about their religion than a rational person who has no hope, who's going to end up in the same place anyways. If you want to read more about that idea, look at Blaise Pascal, Pascal's Wager. People go, oh, so you're just betting there's no God. No, it actually has to do with the fact that it's actually nicer to be a human being with hope than without. Okay. I would rather believe, even if I was wrong, which I don't believe I am, but if I was, I'd rather have hope because the world still has a problem with evil, even if you reject this. In a world without God, there is no purpose in pain. In a world without God, there is no justice coming for evil acts. Hitler, he's time plus slime plus chance, just like you. He went into the ground, worms ate his body, unless he still lives under the surface or in Argentina, I don't know. But just having fun. But in a world without God, there's no justice, there's no judge. So yeah, you do whatever you want, but anytime somebody does anything they want against you, there's no justice. Do you like that world? Does that resonate with you? Does that reconcile in your spirit? Or do you maybe feel perhaps that internally there actually is right and wrong and you would prefer if things are actually accountable? We just don't want to be accountable ourselves. So it's easier if God doesn't exist. And there's no hope where there's the universe without God. There's no hope for re restoration. There's nothing coming. Nobody's coming to save you. The cavalry is not coming, right? You're all on your own. Without God, evil is a problem without an answer. And that's why when I go as a Christian, I go, man, I'm so thankful that there is a God. 
in the beginning, God created this whole thing. Yeah, things got off, things went wrong, but he's there and he understands pain. He's present with me in pain and he's bringing hope. He's coming to make all things new and I get to participate in that. But this is where we come to the third problem of evil that really is the most problematic of all. This is the personal problem of evil, which is this. You're not just a person that suffers because of pain. You're part of the problem. I'm part of the problem. We went looking for the beast and we found him lurking within. We went to, to kill the vampire. We tried to storm Frankenstein's castle and then we heard the knocks on our door because we're the monster. That when we look outside and we go, evil is an external problem. It's just, it's about fixing schools. It's about fixing guns. It's about fixing politics. It's about fixing this and fixing that. The problem with all those things is if the human being is still part of the solution, it's still gonna be a problem. Because we also must realize that evil exists inside of us. God is not the author of evil, as Joshua Ryan Butler says. We are. Uh, back in, in the early 1900s was a, a guy named G.K. Chesterton. He's one of my favorite authors. And he was invited by a London paper in the early 1900s to submit an essay in response to the question, what's wrong with the world? And he humorously and wisely responded with a simple four-word essay. Dear sirs, I am. What's wrong with the world? I am. You are. The fact of the matter is this. We tend to talk about the power of hell or evil and we shift the blame for the cruelty that is ours and in the world, that is our responsibility. We shift it away from ourselves and we shift it towards God. The problem though is that is not that we are good and God is evil. The gospel flips this illusion on its head. God is good and we are evil. We're the ones that are sick. We're the ones that have a problem. And our healing begins with the repentant acknowledgement of this fact. And that allows us to fall into the arms of mercy that are waiting to receive us. You see, evil is not an abstract problem. It's a personal problem because it exists in the heart of people. And you know this, and so do I. You say, I don't agree with you. Evil's out there. It's not inside. I'm not evil. I'm basically good. No, you're not. And I'll explain and prove it to you. When a lion kills somebody on purpose, we, we, call, it an, we call it a tragedy. Because why? A lion is an animal. We just got to see the most awesome lion at the Portland Zoo on Friday. He was doing his lion thing. It was awesome. <laughs> if a lion kills a person on purpose, it's a tragedy. If you kill a person on purpose, we call it something else, murder. Why? Because we, we deeply understand that there's a different standard for humans than animals. Why? Because there is such a thing as right and wrong, and we recognize the fact that it's actually wrong for another human being to on purpose kill someone out of anger or rage or whatever. We call it something different because we see there's actually a different standard. Why? We recognize the fact that we're responsible. Evil's an inside problem. It's a personal problem. It's not, we don't call it evil if it's accidental. Evil is something that is something we chose to do. You see what I'm saying? It's on the inside. Even in our language, we make a distinction recognizing evil. The apostle Paul talks about this in Romans 7, 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Later in that same chapter, he says, I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? That's the real question, isn't it? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. Let me just tell you right now, the problem of evil will only be solved when evil gets stamped out of the hearts of people. There is no political solution, educational solution, legislation solution. Those things can help. I'm not saying we shouldn't look into those things. But the reality is until Jesus is king of every heart, evil still has a hold and it will never be fully defeated. So what is the answer to the problem? I'm going to wrap it all up and bring it together right now. The answer to the problem of evil is truly found in the cross of Christ. 
The cross is God's answer to the question of evil and suffering. It is both the answer and the antidote. In other words, it explains to us intellectually, but it also solves the challenge. It brings all this together. Why? Because the cross demonstrates the high cost of evil. That evil wasn't just a big joke. It had to be dealt with. There had to be justice. Somebody had to pay the price for your problem, your evil and my evil and the evil in the world. And so evil must be dealt with and justice must be done. The cross demonstrates God's embrace of our broken condition. God shows us in that moment that we are not alone in our pain. We serve a God that embraced our suffering and took it to himself. We have a God that both cares and acts because of his great love. And also the cross is what gives us the power to defeat the evil that has taken hold of our heart. You know who has a problem with evil? We all do. Yeah, but Pastor Jake, I've never killed anybody. I've never stolen. Yeah, but you still have it on the inside. There's still that black dragon that's living on the inside. You know, that black lizard on the inside that wears its ugly head. And we have a problem and we try to kill it. We try to cover it. We try to perfume it. We try to clothe it. We try to, cut, we try to get rid of it, but we can't. The only thing that can really deal with it on the inside is the cross of Christ as we come to Jesus and we give him our life and we die and we go down into the waters of baptism and come back with new life. Through Jesus, we can overcome evil with good. We can hold on to hope for both the present world and the world to come. And that is God's answer to the problem of evil and suffering. If you wanna see what God's answer to prob the problem of evil is, you gotta look at this. It's the cross of Jesus that moment of supreme evil where Jesus went through destruction of his body. He was innocent, yet he was tortured and broken. And God said, look, I'm embracing your problem and your struggle and I'm making it mine. And now this is the bridge for you to get reconciled with me. The cross is the answer and the antidote. And I want to finish today by reading in Isaiah 53. It's written hundreds of years before Jesus, but it's a prophetic picture of Jesus and what happened with him. And it says in Isaiah, who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over, a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him. We thought he was scum, but the fact is it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures, but it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him. Our sins, he took the punishment and that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way, and God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong on him, on him. He was beaten, he was tortured, but he didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered and like a sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. Justice miscarried and he was let off. And did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of, sins of my people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in a grave with a rich man, even though he'd never heard a soul or said one word that wasn't true. Still, it's what God had in mind all along to crush him with pain. That plan was that he'd give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it. Life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. Out of that terrible travail of soul, he'll see that it's worth it and be glad he did it. Through what he experienced, my righteous one, my servant will make many righteous ones. He's talking about you and I. 
as he himself carries the burden of their sins. Therefore, I will reward him extravagantly, the best of everything, the highest honors, because he looked death in the face and didn't flinch because he embraced the company of the lowest. That's also us. He took on his own shoulders the sin of many. He took up the cause of all the black sheep. Who are we talking about today? We're talking about Jesus. Come on, we're talking about God and his perfection who left the right hand of the Father who came down and got into the mess and got into the mud and walked through pain and went through every single thing. And at the end of it all, when he should have been lifted up and hailed as king, he was crucified, but it was God's plan all along. And as every demon of hell was laughing laughing and mocking, thinking they'd killed the Son of God. God pulled off the biggest trick of all time, the greatest comeback ever. And when Jesus died and went into the ground, it was in that moment that what was written before the fabric of the universe actually came into action and God's love triumphed. God's weakness triumphed over strength and power and evil and darkness were broken in that one moment. That you and I could come to faith in Christ. He's our champion. He's our hero. Come on, you want to you talk about a superhero? It's Jesus. Come on, let's worship him today. Let me just tell you right now, when I look at my children and I say, I want to give you hope in the turbulent times, I don't know that you're not going to go to a school and die, but what I do know is that death does not get the final word. Because we serve the God of resurrection life. He is Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Come on. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And guess what? For the joy that is set before us, maybe right now we're not going to get our reward, but as we connect with Jesus, as even when we face death, we're going to cross that river. And guess what? We're going to come into the arms of God and we're going to be there forever and ever. And every tear will be wiped away. Why? Because of what Jesus did. That is God's answer to the problem of evil and suffering. It's not the answer for academics or philosophers necessarily. It's not maybe going to satisfy every single question, but it satisfies what matters, which is that God has got a hold of your heart and you can put your trust and your faith in him, in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Listen, today, every week, there are people that come to church that don't have a relationship with Jesus and as you can see, I'm not passionate. I'm just intellectual. I'm just an academic. I just, I just teach up here. I don't really care too much. No, I'm like the hair club for men president. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not just the president. I'm also a client. <laughs> I really love Jesus with all my heart because he's my savior. Come on. He's my Lord. Come on. Woo! So if you're here today and you're like, Pastor Jake, I want that. <laughs> I want to know Jesus for real. I want, to, I want to connect. Pastor Jake, I have a broken heart. Pastor Jake, I've been, I've been doing my own thing. I've even heard other people, and I need Jesus to be the answer and the antidote. Right now is your moment to put your trust in Jesus. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. If that's you, and you want to give your life to Jesus for real, authentically, I want to ask you right now, lift up your hand so I can see. Thank you so much. All over this room, I want to follow Jesus. I don't want phony, fake, empty religion. I want a relationship with Christ. I want to know him. I want to give him my life. That's so awesome. If you raise your hand and all of us together, let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender it all, the good and the bad, my success and my failure. I lay it down at your cross and I receive what you did for me. I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way to be reconciled with you. Thank you for saving me. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God glory today.